Welcome to Questioning Your Answers podcast, where we explore beauty and transform our narratives. Well, it is our absolute joy to welcome um, Andrew Davis today. Andrew is the uh, program director for the Center of Process Thought at the Claremont School of Theology. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you uh, both for having me. It's great to be here. We've both so enjoyed your uh, your latest book, Mind, Value, and Cosmos, which is really, you know, you explore some of the most fundamental or, or the way you call it the, the questions of ultimacy, the, the ultimate questions about existence, etc. And that works so beautifully with our podcast because it's called Question Your Answers. Maybe before we get into that juicy detail, (laughs) I'd love to just ask you, Andrew, a little bit. um, You're such a great communicator of of some very complex thoughts and I'd just like to ask a bit about your story and what, what gave you this passion to to explore the way that you do and your love for theology and philosophy. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Yeah, I think starting on the personal note is, is perhaps where to do so. So, you know, I was raised in a, in a household of faith um, where questions were always uh, encouraged, mm, Okay. you know, and I, I've always loved to, as it were, toss questions at the cosmos like arrows, you know, and just see what sort of comes back. Uh, In my early college years, I did the BA in philosophy and theology. And at that time, I was mainly interested in biblical studies and and Christian theology, um, which I still have interest in. It's just our journeys switch in different ways. Um, I moved into my master's degree in interreligious studies, was much more interested in comparative religion and interreligious studies. But also at that time in Cl- at Claremont School of Theology began to nurse a real interest in, in these type of fundamental questions, questions of metaphysics, which simply means questions about the nature of reality, uh, questions mm-hmm. of philosophical theology, meaning simply questions about the nature of, of God uh, and how God relates to the world. Um, and so for me, it's been a very natural progression from my youth having space to ask questions, enjoying the conversations, enjoying writing uh, and doing so creatively um, through the BA to the MA, which naturally led to the PhD work, which uh, primarily focused on uh, process, philosophy, and open and relational theology uh, in the context of these ultimate questions uh, that drive uh, so many of us. And I think one way to put it, too, is there's a time for me and for a lot of people, I think, when all of a sudden you have this sort of ontological shock that yeah. the universe has produced you, yeah. um, that you haven't <laughs> you haven't fallen into it from elsewhere. You're not a foreign entity, but that you're in some sense are not an exception to what's going on, but uh, but an exemplification of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I remember that that thought hitting me and really uh, transforming the way I understood things. Because if if we are in some sense, our experience is an exemplification of what the universe is doing. Mm. And can we also read that all the way down in nature? Yes. Can we read it all the way up in yeah. nature? And how would that transform our thinking? So 
those questions, there's, there's those moments when the questions hit me and, and you look back to them and say, well, that was a pivotal moment. And I've been following that sort of natural trajectory as it unfolds uh, in the writing of this book, which is the, the publication of my, my dissertation mm-hmm. and in, in the writing of other books on the horizon and also an interest in basic spiritual narratives. So it's yeah. not always just purely academic. Um, but it's I'm interested in, in the meandering paths people navigate yeah. and how they've come to understand God and the world differently. Yeah. And I think it's important so to for... To give a, a basic intro, that's what I would say. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> uh, I think it's also important for everyone to understand that, you know, we we might be passionate about these questions to pursue all the studies and everything available to us uh, in that arena, but these questions aren't uh, exclusive <laughs> to no. to any specific group. I think every human being has got this sense of wonder, and however you go about trying to satisfy that sense of wonder, the questions we are dealing with are universal. They they've occurred throughout history. Uh, you know, since the time people could write or communicate their thoughts, the questions of who are we, what, who is God, how does this world work? Those questions have surfaced. Now, today, yes, I think there's a lot of people that will. Well, there are some philosophers that will argue that these questions are really meaningless, you know, that we're trying to impress upon the universe our own uh, crisis, our existential Mm -hmm. crisis, and trying to conform the universe to the shape of our consciousness, that the fact that you, you ask these questions is actually just an anomaly within the otherwise mindless universe. But you start attaching on that uh, when you said that we actually exemplifications of the very nature of reality. Can you can you explore that thought a bit further? Certainly. Well, I think those philosophers, I think if you look at the whole span of the Western, at least, and that's primarily the tradition, look, the Western intellectual tradition, um, the, the majority of people you would study, philosophers in, in say, an intro class, have not seen these questions as being, uh, you know, something easily to, put, to be put aside because suddenly we've discovered a scientific worldview. Mm. Um, so for those who would say it's sort of an anomaly or, um, or doesn't belong, in some sense, you don't belong in the universe. It's the great exception view. You're, you're the great exception to, to the universe. Um, now, they can hold that view, but... But it still raises those type, the more fundamental questions as to why would the possibility even of being such as ourselves, yeah. uh, who are concerned not only with entertaining the possible, but who are concerned with evaluating the possible in terms of value, why would the universe itself harbor the possibility of those kind of beings? Yeah. Um, and, and it's... For me, and we can perhaps get into this later, but the universe necessarily holds those possibilities in place. And that's a fantastic realization because prior to our existence, um, you know, if you think about the evolution of the universe for, for two billion years, bacteria reigned. Mm. Uh, and no human being, no, no modern human, certainly, yeah. um, 
was even a, a, a twinkle in the eye of, of, you know, maybe it was yes. a twinkle in the eye of possibility in some sense, but, but we were not yet actualized, but the universe held those possibilities uh, mm -hmm. in mind, as it were, right? So yes. we can think about that. So I just don't think it's adequate enough to say, to, to dismiss the fact that universe preconditions are being uh, in virtue of it having been possible. Mm -hmm. Now, it's one thing that it's possible. It's another real uh, amazing fact that it's become actual and that we're here to raise the questions about it. So we are homo querens is one way to put it. We are questioning beings yes. in a universe that allows for questions. Yeah. Yes, um, yes. And that's deeply suggestive to me. So what if we began to think about the human place as not an, an exception, mm -hmm. but a, an exemplification? And if we read, it, it, it doesn't mean the universe has to resemble a human being, mm -hmm. certainly not, but that the elements, the domains, the depths of our experience belong mm -hmm. in the universe. Yeah, and in some sense, our ways of reading back into the universe, its history, and perhaps reading vertically, if you want to use the vertical metaphor, into questions of theology yeah. and metaphysics. And certainly um, suggests it seems to me that, you'd have to, that there's something yeah. mind-like about our universe, mm -hmm. that it would produce creatures that questions. And, you know, I think it was Einstein that stood in absolute wonder at the fact that this universe is intelligible, that mm -hmm. we can understand it, that there's a beauty about it that, that somehow connects with our consciousness uh, in a way that, um, as you say, is exemplification of the very nature of reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Einstein's wonderful quote, yes, yeah, the most incomprehensible thing about the universe is that it's comprehensible. Yes. <laughs> uh, it, it allows for the wonder. Well, I must say also the wonder of this comprehension is amazing. Mm. But Whitehead also has a statement where uh, – you know, and certainly the notion that philosophy begins in wonder goes all the way back to the Greeks. But he has this beautiful statement at the end of Modes of Thought, a, a book uh, that encouraged everyone later in his career. He says, philosophy begins in wonder, and in the end, the wonder remains. Oh, I love it. <laughs> it's not, it, it, and I love that because it's, it, it, he knows, of course, in any philosopher worth your time, mm. you know, and that's not a sleight of hand, but it knows that philosophy is not a closed endeavor. Mm. You don't, you read to a, uh, your questions don't find complete answers and th therefore you're satisfied and you move on mm. to, uh, you know, mechanics or mm. something else. <laughs> the wonder remains. Mm. It's an imaginative endeavor. I would say the same thing for, for theology too. Theology is not simply for me, a matter of finding out what's true, mm. uh, knowing what's true and then moving on. It's, it's approaching what's true in the most imaginative and creative way uh, possible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, doing, and doing so in ways that are consistent, not with simply belief systems you've been given, but experiences you've had. Yeah. Uh, and that's important because sometimes belief, uh, our upbringing and our experience clash, and that's an interesting moment. You mm. have to ask yourself, do you hold on to the beliefs you've been given, even though they clash with your experience, or do you follow your experience into new beliefs? Yes. And I think to follow your experience is that, philosophical and theological journey. It's a spiritual journey, uh, if you want, although some people would not want to use that sort of language. Yes, love it. <laughs> sure. In, and in asking these ultimate questions that you do, <laughs> um, you know, we, we realize that qu these questions can be asked in so many different ways. There's so many nuances to, 
the way you can ask them. Um, but you clarify in the beginning of your book, you clarify the question. And if I've got this right, <laughs> that sure. why do things exist the way that they do? And, you know, and exploring that question, you, you use the ideas of three major thinkers in these themes, um, John Leslie, uh, Keith Ward, and Alfred North Whitehead. And can you maybe summarize if those three ideas um, in the light of this and what you explore sure. in the book? Sure, sure. So, and the reason I chose... Um, Leslie, uh, John Leslie, Keith Ward, and Whitehead is because of these interesting resonances between them. Yeah. For each of them, uh, mind, uh, value, and the cosmos each have an ultimate standing. Yes. Uh, that is to say, you know, like, like the term ultimacy is confusing for, for folks sometimes, but when I say ultimacy, all I'm meaning is that they have a, an ineradicable place. They're a part of what must enter into any ultimate explanation when thinking about these kinds of ultimate questions. So, so they're interesting, though, because they approach the value and the, the priority of these notions of, of, of uh, mind, value, the cosmos, of possibility and actuality, of God in the world. And they do so from various different angles. Yes. And, and that becomes Im important and linked to a tradition wherein mind and value have always had a place. Mm. Uh, so again, all the way back to Plato, even before Plato, the pre Socratics talked about the sense of justice in the nature of things. Plato talked about the good. Others mm. have just simply talked about value. Um, and mind and value have had this abiding place in the tradition, um, but it's not always been so clear how they relate um, or what standing, what status the universe has in relation to them or what status or standing God has in relation to yeah. these notions. Maybe so if, if those are the... Can I interrupt sure. you for a moment? Because, you know, even as I read these books, I always try and simplify it for myself, specifically because we then continue and we teach it uh, to our students, etc. And so, you know, you explore yes. a number of different answers that people have given to the question of why do things exist the way they do. But the the two things that you've mentioned, value and mind, the way in which I would simplify those two answers, and as I say, it's only two amongst many answers that have been given, but the value one, and please correct me if, or, or say it better than I, if you can, the value one I would summarize is this. No, that, please go ahead. You know, that the things, things exist the way they do because – that's the because good it's thing. good yeah. that they do that these options have actualized because they are better than others so that is kind of the value answer um and then the mind answer on the other side is that uh, you know there is something intelligible about what we experience and our questions because there is a mind-like reality that brought them about. So I just wanted to throw in those two kind of simplified answers. So when you speak yes. about value and mind, that, that we can um, go from there. Yes. No, that's great. Yeah, that, that, that is really helpful. 
Um, and in a sense, you've, you've just shown the different priorities that emerge in both Keith Ward and John Leslie. Mm-hmm. So Leslie makes this fantastic claim as to about value. Yes. He says, necessarily, uh, eternally, there are ethical requirements or value requirements mm-hmm. that themselves are sufficient to explain why there is anything uh, rather than nothing. Yeah. And of course, that question is one of many questions that I sort of lay out in chapter chapter one. Mm-hmm. But the, the idea that there are abstract value requirements, mm-hmm. um, they don't exist like you and I exist. They're not actual, but they're needs, mm-hmm. they're requirements. The need for a good cosmos is itself sufficient to actualize or to procure that cosmos. And so that, for Leslie, he's exemplifying what he calls axiarchism. And in the, in the tradition, he reads axiarchism, this claim about the dominance of value in the universe, as, as being really fundamental to, to this tradition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you can do that. You can. All the way, Plato, certainly, all the way through, you see that in the sense that, that, value, or my, or that value or perfection, even, is woven into the fabric of the universe. Mm-hmm. The question is how, in some sense, uh, how can it be that there is an abstract value requirement, a, a requirement that is that is not valuable because we think it is, or because subjective minds are you know throwing their value onto it, but it is uh, in and of itself for Leslie. Mm. Now, on the other side, another answer, as you say, and there's many of them, uh, is the is the answer of mind, which is the, the option that Keith Ward as an idealist, um, philosopher idealism being the, this, this idea that mind is fundamental in the universe. Um, it's a claim that, that mind or divine mind in particular is what is responsible. Mm. Now, those aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. Yeah. Um, Leslie, in fact, has a divine mind in his cosmology, yeah. uh, but that mind exists because it's good that it should. Yes. It exists because it's supremely valuable. Yeah. And so he, he grounds the divine mind's existence in value from the mm-hmm. perspective of abstract value, whereas Keith Ward also has value in, in this um, divine mind, but mm-hmm. he grounds the fact of there being value in the actual divine mind. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, I mean, mind and value then are these ambiguous terms, but I would say they've been essential to any understanding of or any approach to thinking about the reality of the existence of God, even why God exists, yes. because that too is a fundamental question. It's not simply why is there anything at all mm-hmm. or why is there order? Yeah. Um, how is there possibility? It's if God exists, why yes. and how does God exist? And See, that, one of the ways that, that people have, uh, yeah. I think that this way you then draw upon such a beautiful uh, uh, resource invited and kind of suggests a whole new way. It, it might not be that new because you take the same elements mm-hmm. of, of value and mind, but what you are tr- communicating is that it's actually the relationship between these ultimate prepositions for existence that is more essential than any one of the ultimates. Uh, and I love that because you know that's beautiful. It, it, it's it, it uh, there's a few things that kind of stood out for me. Um, one uh, is anybody just reading process and reality don't 
don't put it down and say, oh, that was a breeze. Most of <laughs> us kind of <laughs> struggle through it the first time and then we, we enter it again. And so anyone who can actually take some of Whitehead's ideas and bring the clarity mm-hmm. and the beauty of them forward, I, I so appreciate it. And you certainly have given me more appreciation for what Whitehead actually tried to communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, but secondly, one of the things that immediately came to mind, even as I you know, looked at your introductory thoughts uh, around the ultimacy of relationality is this very fundamental intuition within the Christian thought that that God is in essence relationship and we've traditionally termed it Trinity but um, in the mo- even more basic than Trinity is this idea of relationality that we're never gonna pin God down to one complete essence or point to one definition, but we're always going to be involved in speaking about the dynamic movement, uh, a creative movement that we're not going to pin down. I love the idea of relationality that you bring out. When one of the ways the tradition called perichoruses, right, the mutual indwelling of the the persons of the Trinity, this movement. I love that too. Mm. Yes, I should ob- obviously say something about Whitehead, certainly since his thought is what primarily takes precedence in the book. Uh, and you said it really nicely. It's assuming we can, in some sense, identify um, and categorize some of these ultimate notions. Um, the quest doesn't stop there. Mm. Um, so people have often wanted to say, well, one thing, one reality or condition is ultimate. Um, it doesn't seem that's like that's the case. You can categorize multiple ultimate kind of notions that seem to be indispensable. The follow-up question for me is how then do these relate to one another? And how might then we think of ultimacy in terms of relationality such that relationality, this entanglement, or what I've called an independent inseparability of Mm -hmm. ultimate notions, is itself what takes the standing of ultimacy. Now, Whitehead uses a wonderful term, uh, and he calls it mutual imminence. Uh-huh. And mutual imminence for Whitehead, it names a relationship that obtains in the universe. It's a relationship wherein multiple realities each offer each other factors and functions which sustain, which mutually sustain each other's existence. Yes. Um, and he reads mutual imminence, like from, again, from the foundations of actual entities, which are events, occasions of experience, all the way up to the to the reality of of God. In fact, he he got this notion of mutual imminence from the Alexandrian uh, theologians. He he finds them struggling to make sense of multiplicity in the divine nature, and he points to their discovery. He uses that language, the discovery of mutual imminence, uh, as this key to metaphysics. Yes. Now, the way it would apply for just to give an example in terms of this book is assuming that mind and value possibility and actuality, God and the world, are these these ineradicable notions, how do we think about the relationship? For example, if, if John Leslie is to say that abstract value is the reason God exists, a question is raised. How can something abstract do anything? How can value, it being so 
distant from actuality, being just a need. But we have many needs. There's need for beauty. There's needs for us to be better people. But the needs themselves don't do that. They don't mm. make us better people. We do. Yes. So in some sense, the brilliance of, of both Leslie and Ward is to say that value is what we look to mm-hmm. if we want to reason God, if we want to explain in some sense God's existence. Mm. But it's not quite enough to stay with abstract value alone. Yeah. So this, again, is Ward's side. There's concrete mind, something mental, something evaluational is needed that's actual yes. to enliven the value. Yeah. And now what Whitehead offers is, I think, a relational framework of showing how abstract value and concrete mind in God reciprocally require each other. Mm-hmm. And that the mystery of divine necessity is the mystery of that relationship. Mm. Mm. So, so that's one way to put it. You can also jump to possibility and actuality. You know, th- these apply equally in the world and equally in God, where we begin to see that there's an entanglement between possibility and actuality. Mm. And, for, and that when we begin to think about possibility... A, a simple example I'm that I'm thinking of now is here I am, and within my mind, my consciousness, I'm thinking, I want a sip of water. But that that uh, thought, that desire, uh, that idea by itself does not quench my thirst. Mm-hmm. I actually need a body with which to reach out for the glass of water and, and you know, put my Certainly. ideas you know- into action. Mm-hmm. And for me, that is such a stunning a simple way of thinking of the the mind of God in relationship to this universe. Mm-hmm. That mind by itself does not accomplish anything actual. Mm-hmm. That there is this mutual imminence, that, that there's something of God present within the actuality of our cosmos with with which these divine possibilities can be realized that that is a stunning thought yes well and that's a, a great point that would sort of lead us a bit deeper too because possibilities seem to pose a problem yeah. uh, ontologically mm-hmm. metaphysically um, now you can deny it's there but i think it still remains yes and it's this notion that there seems to be a certain transcendent element to possibility. We sort of talked about that in the beginning. Mm. But how do we make sense of the existence and the relevance of possibility to actuality? We live every moment. Possibilities like fluid are flowing into the world in some sense. Mm-hmm. We've been talking for 26 minutes and 30, 40 seconds now. <laughs> a, a second just passed. Another possibility is realized. So there is a fundamental question that's existed in philosophy about how do we make sense of the possible? Mm. Now, in our experience, in some sense, where do they come from? How do they they exist? They seem to exist wonderfully. They they seem to exist necessarily. Mm. Now, one way the theological tradition has made sense of that is to say that possibilities or other platonic realities, uh, abstract mathematical entities, ideal values, objective values, where would they exist? Uh, Do they just float in a void somewhere? And how can they do anything? Yeah. One way the tradition made sense of this is to say that they are noetic content mm. of the divine mind. Mm. That something of the infinite necessary nature of God is 
shared with the world in terms of possibility, in terms of, in terms of mathematical intelligibility, in terms of value, mm. uh, you know, enacted ethically or morally. But uh, the question can go higher too, though, because we have to again ask about God's own possibility. What is the status of God's own possibility? Mm. And you know, we don't won't spend too much time on it, but you can work your way up again in some sense to say that just as mind and value require each other, mm. and that's an insight into the divine nature, so too do possibility and actuality yes. require each other in God. Mm. So that the mystery of God becomes the mystery, to use Whitehead's word, uh, of the mutual imminence of mind and value of possibility and actuality. Mm -hmm. um, but you didn't stop there. What you brought up earlier as well was actualizations of possibilities. Mm -hmm. And for me, this this brings in the discussion of the status of the world, mm -hmm. uh, of the cosmos. Yes. And and I'll let you jump in before I go there if you want, because <laughs> I think it's a interesting it's an interesting way of of bringing it around to yeah, the differences between Whitehead and, well, and Leslie. Well, maybe I must jump in there, and <laughs> maybe I'll start off and I'll pick up again on the notion that most of our Christian audience will be familiar with, and that is the the notion of the mutual imminence of the Trinity, that we do not refer to God yeah. as the Father on his own or the Son on his own or the Spirit on his own, the, the, the more orthodox way in which we think of God is it is this relationship between what we named Father, Son, and Spirit, and that it is the re, this movement as a whole that, we, that each of the parties supplies something essential for the existence of the other. There would be no father if there is no son. Beautiful. <laughs> there would be no son if there is no father, etc. But what was beautifully brought out um, is to take that understanding that we have traditionally only applied to God and say that actually applies to the cosmos. Mm that in a sense this creation is, um, there is no creator without creation. <laughs> we, we've, we normally are happy to say there's no yes. creation without the yes. creator. Uh, everyone's happy with that because it just still gives God his independent existence. But what is becoming clear through the ultimacy of relationality is that there's no creator without creation. <laughs> now, this might be taken totally out of context, which every now and then I do just for fun. <laughs> but when Jesus reveals who he thinks is God, <laughs> That's okay. he says, this God, the true God, is God with us. Mm. Now, if I give the inverse of that. The true God is not God without us. <laughs> and so this is that, <laughs> this I think is the essence of what you're starting to bring about in, in your thought here so beautifully that there's something imminent within our within the cosmos but let's make it personal within your personal being there's something that wasn't just created by god 
but it is made of God. There's mm. uh, there's an essence in me that God supplies through His personal presence that I would not be who I am if God is not personally present within my existence. And then the the shocking inverse (laughs) idea that's brought out there as well is that there is something in God's actuality that is made of me, (laughs) that, that my existence, my experience adds something to the experience and the actuality of God that would not have been there if I was not here. Now that, wow, we can dwell on that. It's it's an extraordinary thought. I think you've communicated it beautifully. And certainly it's controversial, as you say, with the, in the history of Christian theology as well, Mm -hmm. the different religious systems, certainly. It's the, it's the question, yeah, to use Whitehead's words again, the mutual imminence of God in the world. Mm. Which for Whitehead, again, if we read it as saying that there's something essential that God offers the world, mm. there's essential an essential sense in which God lives through the world and the world lives through God. Yes. And that to omit either of them is to do harm to a situation that is of supreme value. So let me say something just briefly about the status of the world. Um, both Keith Ward and John Leslie have an interesting thought. They say that the divine mind thinks the world into being. Uh, Leslie even says that intricate divine thinking is being. Mm-hmm. Right? There is no difference from intricate divine thought in you. Mm-hmm. And he calls it pantheism, which the tradition generally has meant that God and the world are identical to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and he thinks, moreover, that that... Well, I'll, I'll leave that aside. So we'll just, just say that divine mind thinks the world into being. Mm-hmm. We remember, though, that Leslie is concerned with value. He wants to affirm a situation that is best. Mm-hmm. He thinks value is the reason the world exists. He thinks value is the reason you exist. Mm-hmm. He thinks value is the reason God exists. Mm-hmm. And yet he affirms that God and the world are identical. Mm-hmm. Now, Ward does a great job of pushing him on this, saying that isn't it more valuable to say that God and the universe are other than each other, are different from one another, precisely because it allows for the supreme value of relationship, of collaboration, which itself is more valuable than having just a pure identity between God and the world. Mm -hmm. The thing with Ward, though, is I think he doesn't quite go far enough. Um, And you can talk to him about this. I think you'll be speaking with him. Yes, we are. He's still, it's still, that there's the world is still not necessary to God. God will. God might necessarily create, but the world isn't fundamentally necessary mm-hmm. to God. Where I think Whitehead offers value here is to say that they each offer something essential. So one way to put it is, what does God offer the world? Well, God, if God's nature in some sense is this relationality, this, this domain of possibility and value, mm-hmm. then that's what God, God grounds the, the possibility and value of the universe. Mm-hmm. The universe itself doesn't hold those things because we are actualizations in every moment of them, mm. which means in some sense they transcend us. On the other side, what does the world then offer God? How does the world, in a sense, bring God into being? That's a controversial way of putting yeah. it. For process thought, for open and relational thought, for Whitehead, God greets the world in every moment with possibility. 
but the world is what actualizes those possibilities. Mm-hmm. What it's what concretizes possibilities into sustained value. Yes. And this function is is what I, I think in terms of mutual limits is what the world plays for God. God offers the world possibility, but awaits the world's actualization of it. Yes. And without actualized possibility as value, mm-hmm. it doesn't really mean much. Yes. Right? So that in some sense, we are actualizing the life of God as possibility in the universe. Yeah. Um, and moreover, that Whitehead, this relationship, as far as he can see, has always been that way. Mm. That God and the, it, it's not to say that there's you know, only one universe. And it, you know, he, there's different thoughts about Big Bang universes and different thoughts. But that God has always been in a relationship with a universe that is collaborative, yeah. that is a call of possibility. And a response of actuality. Yeah. We are the response. God is the call. Yes. And, and maybe I'll, I'll let you chime in there, but, but it's this relationship of mutual eminence that exemplifies the supreme value of collaboration. Yes. It yeah. didn't begin at one point. It doesn't end at one point. It is an exemplification of the value of collaboration. I love that that whole thought, and even in I think the, the article, one of the latest articles you you've written, which maybe is a subject for another podcast, yes. <laughs> which was sure. was quite yeah. a title, um, "Helping God Be God by becoming by be- God. helping God by becoming God." <laughs> Woo! <laughs> but um, you know, one of the the beautiful thoughts that I so enjoyed, which you you you've just alluded to now, was that Luke seventeen, I think, passage of the kingdom in your midst that you won't be asking where is it here or there, but it is in your midst and is waiting to be actualized mm. in you. Yeah. <laughs> And um, and then I think you you quoted Tilio de Chardin um, just in respect to us being an extension mm. of God, and it was just so beautiful to me because you know that's where you know this this eminence mm. is yeah. where it meets us, yeah. <laughs> and um, and that the kingdom is waiting to be actualized through us. Yeah. That yeah. we genuinely make a contribution yeah. <laughs> to God is just yeah. profound. I I want to add. I, I love that. Thank you. And it, and it is. Oh, sure. The, the, I, I mean, Go that, ahead. That genuine contribution, one of the things that the, the omnipresence of God suddenly becomes so much more valuable if you understand it not just as a you know a a presence that observes us mm. but rather a presence who experiences with us yes. and his experience of your joy is his joy your his experience of your pain is his pain and and so, as Marianne said, it makes a genuine contribution, not just to whatever you think is the kingdom of God, but to, to make it more God. personal to the very experience and being of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and, of course, we're moving away from the book, which is, which is great. 
it was more metaphysics there, but this is this is practical, and I, and I think we have to go there too. Mm. And this is a part of my interest in, in inhabiting that practical space too. Um, the tradition spoke of this speaks both of incarnation and of theosis, mm. right? And the way I, I like to think about that is incarnation is this notion of God moving towards the human, mm-hmm. whereas theosis, usually seen eschatologically, is this notion of the human becoming or sharing in. The yes. nature of God. Yes. On, on our open and relational framework, on a process framework, why shouldn't we reconceive those things as matters of the moment? Yes. Moments that pass. And every moment, God is moving towards you with the possibility. Um, it might be an ethical possibility. It might be for you to do, you know, Lord knows. Yeah. <laughs> but what is? But what God awaits is the actualization of that. Yeah. And, and the imaginative thing I try to do in that article um, which will be published later on in the book that Tom Ward is, is putting out, is to say that when you, in the moment, when these two divine and worldly movements meet each other, there is no difference, in that moment at least, mm-hmm. from you being God and God being you. Yeah. Right? Ethical theosis and incarnation have become the same sort of thing. It's a provocative way of saying that God is calling to be actualized. Yes. Uh, and it's an ethical call. Yeah. And so I, I call it inverse theology because yes. instead of just thinking about how God moves towards the human and how God is the primary actant, yeah. it's the human being actualizing God from the other side. And that is, uh, the, but it's still collaborative. That's the essential message, I think, of the incarnation. Is the despite yes. the fact that humans have always just been preoccupied mostly with how can we become more divine? Mm. How can we? become more godly it seems like from god's perspective it's i want to become human <laughs> i want to become you yes. i want to yeah. uh, it's here and now where i can express myself and be myself and so that's beautiful to take both theosis and incarnation out of just the eschatological and historic context and and Which say the, the moment the incarnation continues, yeah. that this, in a sense, all of creation is the continuation of incarnation. But I'll throw into that just in case somebody has a question. The The beautiful thing that you explore with, with <laughs> Keith Ward's perspective is the true, the, the mutual transcendence or the mm-hmm. true otherness or, uh, that also is present within this relationship, which means that from time to time we actually choose possibilities uh, or, or shall I say we've been given the creative capacity to imagine and create possibilities that are truly the opposite of what God desires. So evil is a reality and it can still be realized and it is not just God meditating on evil that brings it about. It's something completely other to the nature and character of God. So I think that aspect um, is implicit in in the argument, both from Whitehead and from um, Keith Ward's perspective. I see we've done yes. 45 minutes already. We normally, you know, we've got so much more we want to ask you and so much more we want to converse about. I would love to continue. Yeah, let's go for it. Sure. sure. <laughs> well, I mean, it's been wonderful. I, we, we can join again another time. Yes. I, um, 
I think we'll but it really rich. Yeah, and I, I really appreciate your your engagement with with this these questions and in my material. I appreciate you reading it yeah. and thinking through it with me. It is um it's uh something I am truly thankful for because many of these ideas and thoughts are things that we have carried for decades and in when we began as missionaries, we did not have the language of whitehead or, or, or process theology or any of those things, but we we could speak out of the experience of a God who seems to be just so in love with humanity yes. that he wants to make himself present in your life, no matter what crap you're in, no matter wh where you you find yourself, he is fascinated with your existence. Mm -hmm. And your very existence is a testimony to God's desire for you. Mm -hmm. And so although for many decades um, we invented our own language and our own ways of saying it. It is just such a beautiful breath of fresh air um, to find these resources that have argued mm -hmm. for these perspectives um, in such an eloquent way mm -hmm. from so many different perspectives. So thank, thank you, you for what you're doing. It's an inspiration for us. <laughs> well, thank you both, and I, I really appreciate it. I hope we can gather gather again sometime soon. We'll do Look that. Forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. Take care. Are you? Thank you for joining us today, and please don't forget to subscribe on our website. QYourAPodcast.com